Hello, Christ community. Glad all of you are here, that everyone, you're all joining us, and those who are joining us online as well as in our traditions venue. Man, welcome to all of you. Last week, we started a four-week teaching series that I am really excited about. Um, this series is called, we're calling the series Making Room, The Sacred Power of Hospitality. I feel like I'm in the midst of an awakening in my heart regarding this whole idea, this whole concept of hospitality, not only in terms of something that I personally want to grow in, it's also something that I believe is essential to where God is leading us as a church. I am becoming increasingly convinced that hospitality is at the heart of Jesus' mission to change the world. And I want to be a part of that. I know we all want to be a part of that. I mean, in a society, think about this, in a society where more and more people feel lonely and unvalued, and unseen, and relationally disconnected, we have an incredible opportunity to love people through the privilege of hospitality. KJ did a great job last week helping us see God's, God's initiative, God's hospitality towards us. So today, we're going to look at how we can more fully live this out, that heartbeat out in our lives. Now, before we go too far in this, let's, let's just kind of try and define what we mean by hospitality. The word hospitality may not be a word that you use very often, but think about this word, the word that results. If you take the word hospitality and then you take off the last three letters, I-T-Y. What word are you left with? Hospital. Yes, we get the word hospital. That place in our society where people experience care and healing and get charged astronomical amounts for it. Uh, um, but seriously, this idea of hospital is that it is always open 24-7, and it's always welcoming people who are physically injured or hurting and are in need. A, a friend of mine's wife had surgery last week, and uh, so I just called, uh, called him just that afternoon, check on how, how it had all gone, and, and he, said, he said, from the moment we arrived at the hospital at 5 a.m., in the morning, we have been so well taken care of. See, that's hospitality. That's how the Bible defines hospitality. It is the tangible act of providing a place of welcome to anyone and everyone. Now, the biblical word for hospitality, it's used uh, three or four times in the New Testament. The biblical word, it is actually a combination of two words. The first word is the word phileo, from which our city of Philadelphia, we get that word Philadelphia, it's named after that, right? It's the city of Brotherly love, okay? So phileo speaks of the love of family, the love of friendship. The second Greek word that is combined with is the word xenos, which means guest or stranger. So biblical hospitality is this idea of loving the stranger, of welcoming people into our homes, into our lives as an expression of Christ's love for them. I mean, it sounds so simple and yet is incredibly powerful. Hospitality, hospitality is this very ordinary way to change the world. It is a very ordinary way to change the world. You may think I'm overstating that, but I'm not. Scholars, historians will consistently, consistently assert that what caused this small band of 120 followers of Jesus in the first century to become 
the predominant in just a few centuries to become the predominant religion on the planet. What caused that to happen was not social media. It was not nice buildings. It was not celebrity pastors. It was not formal theological training. It was the practice of hospitality. Followers of Jesus opening their hearts and their homes to people, people who were different than them, people who were in need. This simple practice of hospitality ignited a movement that literally changed the world. Okay, so how did these Christians know how know to do this, right? How did they know to do this? How did they discover the power of hospitality and all that? Well, they were followers of this guy named Jesus. And, and, and this is exactly how Jesus lived his life. Even though he didn't have a home, he lived this life of hospitality. It was critical. It was central to his mission. So in Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus gives us his mission. He tells us his mission succinct way. He says, here's what his mission is. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. That's his mission. That's the what he came to do. But how is he going to do that? How did he plan on accomplishing that mission? Well, he tells us in Luke 7, verse 34, similar start to this for the Son of Man, similar language, and then notice what he says. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. There's the how. Jesus' mission was going to be best accomplished by eating and drinking with people, which sounds like fun. You know, really. I mean, this, this sounds like a lot of fun, but it doesn't sound much like a mission strategy. Oh, but it is. The way Jesus accomplished his mission to seek and to save the lost was by eating and drinking with people, with all sorts of people. Jesus had no problem dining with Pharisees and he had no problem dining with tax collectors and prostitutes. For Jesus, the practice of hospitality, of gathering around a table and sharing a meal with someone, that practice was not some trivial, meaningless, superficial activity. No, it was at the heart of his mission. Seriously, it was at the heart of his mission. Jesus knew that one of the most powerful places for transformation in people's lives is around a table with food and drink being enjoyed. There is something so ordinary and yet incredibly powerful about this. Simon Carey Holt, almost said Hulk, but his name is Holt, okay? Simon Carey Holt, who is um, a theologian and a chef, which is a fascinating uh, combination, right? But here's what he, he, he writes this. He writes, hospitality is a very ordinary business, but in its ordinariness is its real worth. Whatever it looks like, your own table is a sacred space. I love that. Our homes, our apartments, our tables are all very ordinary and yet very sacred spaces. I mean, could it be, could it be that we have made the mission of Jesus way too complicated? 
Could it be that we have made the mission of Jesus way too complicated? I mean, what if, what if the heart of Jesus' mission was best accomplished through opening our home to others and eating and drinking around a table? <laughs> okay, so what is it? What is it that makes this idea so radical and so powerful? Here, here's what it is. Sociologically speaking, the table is often a boundary marker. The table, sociologically speaking, the table is often a boundary marker. The table separates who's in and who's not. We all learned this in elementary school, right? In the school cafeteria, what, or high school, middle school, what, we all learned this growing up, right? What, what table were you allowed to sit at? What group of people were you allowed to sit with? The cool people? The jocks, the nerds, the skateboarders, the smokers. See, the table, even at that young age, the table became this daily reminder of where we did and didn't fit. It was a boundary marker. And of course, this delineation just continues into adulthood where in the South, not that long ago, people of color were not allowed into, into certain restaurants. Meals can create boundaries where we only eat with people who are like us, who look like us and think like us and vote like us. But Jesus changes all that. Jesus changes all of that. In fact, I love how one, one pastor states this. He said, for Jesus, meals were not a boundary marker but a sign of God's welcoming kingdom. Meals were not a way to keep people out, but to invite them in. So hospitality becomes this countercultural, subversive way to tear down age-old boundary markers that have long kept people apart, and instead we choose, we choose to actually bring people together. Now next week, we're going to explore the impact this can have on our society as a whole. But today, today, I want us to look at the foundational context for this kind of hospitality from a biblical perspective. I mentioned um, several weeks ago that we as a church, we are in the midst of a season where we are really seeking the Lord about his vision for our church for the next three to five years. A lot of prayer, a lot of meetings, a lot of things going into that. And we've invited you to pray into that. If you sense the Lord saying anything, please let us know. So we're in this season of seeking the Lord. And so in this process, there has been one scripture in particular that I keep going back to again and again. And whenever I read it, it like stirs, it's stirring something in me. And it's impacting my prayers for our church because it is such a powerful picture of what the church could be like and I think should be like, especially in the culture in which we're living. So this passage is just stirring in me. It's found in Acts chapter two, beginning in verse 42. So it occurs... Before I read it, let me just share the context. It occurs immediately after Jesus has risen from the dead and then he ascended into heaven. When he ascended into heaven, he poured out his Holy Spirit. 
in a dramatic way. And a large crowd at that particular day, a large crowd had gathered in Jerusalem they, and they heard what was the stuff, they were wondering what was going on. So Peter, the leader of the group, stands up and he preaches the gospel that Jesus is the Messiah and that he died for our sins and he rose from the dead and that people, every person needs to repent of their sin and place their faith in Jesus in order to escape God's judgment. That was the message. 3,000 people responded. 3,000 people responded, which was amazing. Well, immediately after that verse, immediately after that verse, this is what we read about the 3,000 new believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I mean, this is such an amazing description of life and vibrancy, a devotion to God's word, a devotion to prayer. Miracles are happening. But notice that at the heart of this powerful experience is hospitality. At the heart of this, is hospitality. Look again at verse 46. Read this with me. Let's read this out loud together. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Notice how their homes became a strategic place for ministry. We think of ministry happening primarily in the church. And we think of the church like a building. So it, it happens primarily in church building, right? But church buildings didn't even happen until... It happened until like 300 years after this. <laughs> they weren't even around until like 300 years. So the, for the first few centuries of the church, the primary, the, the primary hub for ministry was the home. And people's homes. And, and we're like in this passage, followers of Jesus opened their homes to one another. And they ate together with joy-filled hearts. And they were sharing stories about God's activity and what God had been doing and God celebrating God's goodness to them. I mean, you know what this really looks like? A family. It looks like a family, which is exactly what God has in mind for his people. This is exactly what God has in mind for his people. God longs for his church to be a family to provide a place where everyone is welcome around around the table, where everyone is celebrated and valued and contributes, a place where everyone can relax and be themselves. There is something about the table. There is something about the table, something about enjoying a meal together that facilitates people relaxing and sharing. And here's what that is. Here's what that something is. In opening our home, and sharing a meal with brothers and sisters in in Christ, we're experiencing the gospel. We are actually experiencing the gospel. The God who opened his home and invited us into his family through the blood of his son. And in this family, there is no pecking order. There is no pecking order. There are no labels. Everyone matters. Just like a 
healthy family, in this family, God's family, everyone matters. Everyone has value. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. In her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, Rosaria Butterfield writes these words. She says this, radically ordinary hospitality, which is an awesome phrase. Radically ordinary hospitality means this. God promises to put the lonely in families. Psalm 68, verse 6. And he intends to use your house as living proof. God puts the lonely in families and he intends to use our homes as living proof of this. See, I love this. The church, not this building. No, the, us as the gathered people of God. The, 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 we are a tangible expression of God's heart on earth to place the lonely in families. To, to make room for the hurting, the broken, the shame-filled, the lonely. It's this amazing picture of what the church can be. And hospitality becomes a key aspect of this happening. Hospitality is at the heart of this family dynamic happening. So in Romans 12, the Apostle Paul, he is giving this description uh, to, the, to the church about how they're to love one another and this, all this, just summarizing all this in, in, in terms of love. And he summarizes it really with two words, two words in verse 13. This, this is his challenge to them. He's talking about getting along, all that stuff. Practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. This is something that God commands each of us to practice in the body of Christ. He's commanding us to open our hearts and our homes to brothers and sisters in Christ, to those in this spiritual family that we're a part of. <clears throat> now, there are, there are two dimensions to this hospitality thing that make it so powerful, okay? One is that hospitality becomes this beautiful way to love people who are in need, to meet needs of people around us. It becomes this beautiful, beautiful way for that to happen. In fact, look at Paul's words right before this command to practice hospitality. Look at the words right before that. Here's what he says. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Those phrases are intimately linked. Practicing hospitality becomes this way, this practical way to share with the Lord's people who are in need. See, are our eyes open to see people around us in our church who are in need? Or are we just so focused, oh, we just got to get in and get my seat and listen and then leave? Are, are, we, are we looking? Are we seeing the needs? Maybe the need is obvious, but maybe it's not so obvious. Do we see people in our church? Do we see people around us with our hearts? The widow whose spouse died a few months ago the college student who is overwhelmed with finals coming up, the young mom who looks exhausted. What, what would happen if we saw our home, our apartment, our dorm room, wherever we live, if we saw that as a place of healing, hospital, right? Hospitality. If we saw it as a place of healing, a place to love on people and to hear their story and to pray for them, what if we reached out and invited them, invited them to simply share a meal together? We're eating anyway, right? Why not invite someone else into that experience? <clears throat> Hospitality can be this amazing way to open your heart and your home to someone who may be going through a hard time, 
or maybe feeling isolated or disconnected or whatever. It's an amazing way to meet people's physical and emotional needs. I was talking with a couple in our church who was looking recently, <clears throat> looking for a place to live. They were wanting to save money and, and get out of debt. And another family in our church heard about their situation and invited them to come stay in their basement for free for several months so that they could get more financially stable. I mean, what a powerful picture of hospitality. Using our home, using our home in a strategic way as a place to help others, as a place to care for other people. Okay, so that's one aspect of hospitality, is just meeting needs. But there's another dimension of hospitality that we cannot miss. This is so important. And it, it's something God designed his church, designed us to be, a, to be a demonstration of. Okay, so remember how the Greek word, we talked about it a moment ago. The Greek word for hospitality is a combination of two words, right? First word is phileo, it's just love, friendship, family kind of love. And the second word is stranger or guest. See, hospitality is the act of showing love to a stranger, Let's unpack that, or a guest, let's unpack that, because here's what it is. It's the intentional action of loving someone who is not in your circle of relationships. It is the intentional action of loving someone who is not in your friendship circle. It's not in the group of people that you just connect with and have chemistry with and love hanging out with. It's not that group of people. Nothing wrong with hanging out with them, but that's not what hospitality is. Hospitality is to share a meal with someone who perhaps is in a different age group than you or in a different socioeconomic stratum than you or in a different, is a different ethnicity than you or who votes differently than you. And on and on. I mean, biblical hospitality is to open our hearts and our homes to people, including those and especially those that we don't have a natural connection to or chemistry with. See, this, this is what makes gospel-centered hospitality so powerful and so impactful. This is what, one of the things that makes it so powerful. Around the table, we take off our labels. And we allow all those things that seem to define us. So look at me, look at how I dress, look at whatever my, how, all that stuff. We take all that stuff off and we let Jesus be the center of this relationship. We let grace be the atmosphere. And the result is this, that this beautiful thing gets created in that space. A table where a Fox News watcher breaks bread with, a, with an MSNBC person. Where, where a struggling addict passes butter to a homeschooling mom. Where an Anglo farmer pours wine into the glass of a Mexican business owner where a person with same-sex orientation shares a casserole with a retired military veteran. See, all of these people gathered around a table in Jesus' name. The meal becomes this magical place where broken sinners saved by grace are partaking together as a family that God has provided for us. Now, I'm guessing that description made some of us uncomfortable which is okay, all right? It really is, it really is. It's good for us to maybe be a little uncomfortable sometimes because here's the reality. The reality is when we choose to practice biblical hospitality, when we choose to practice this, it will move us out of our comfort zone, guaranteed. 
It will move us out of our comfort zone. And our comfort zone is where we hang, only hang out with people that we like and who make us laugh and people who are like us in the same age group and all that stuff. Again, nothing wrong with that, but that's not hospitality in the way, the biblical hospitality. What it's going gonna, it's gonna to move us beyond our comfort zone of these people I feel safe with and comfortable with. And it's going to move us into this realm of welcoming people into our home who are not like us. People who do not look like us, who do not dress like us, who do not live in the same neighborhood as us, do not think like us. And I think this is why we see this statement in 1 Peter 4 um, regarding hospitality. Check this out. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Apparently, someone was grumbling about hospitality, okay? Um, they were grumbling about it. Um, what if their kid spills red Kool-Aid on my carpet, right? Uh, you know, what, what if their, their child frightens our dog? Um, what, what if uh, we have these moments of awkward silence? What if they say something that I disagree with? What if we really want to go to bed and we have all these extroverts just still in our living room? Um, <clears throat> This happened. I remember early on in our marriage, Raylene and I had some people over, and they just stayed and stayed and stayed. And, and finally, I just stood up and said, I'm, I'm tired. I'm going to go to bed. Um, and Raylene was, like, horrified um, that I would do that. I just left her with them. Um, <laughs> she's an introvert, too. I left her with the extroverts or whatever. But she was horrified. I heard about it later. That hasn't happened again. But uh, just... She was amazed at my rudeness. Um, but, but really, practicing hospitality is not easy. It's not easy. There's a, there's a cost involved. There's a cost involved. But it's worth it. It is worth it because there is life involved as well. Pouring gospel life into another person. Being the family that God had in mind when he created this thing called church. That's what hospitality enables us to do. So let's get really practical and let's talk honestly here about some of the barriers that keep us from doing this. Um, I'm going to mention a few in your small group this week. If you're going through the message notes, you're going to be talking about others as well. One of the biggest barriers, and some of you are already here and maybe you've already turned off this message in your brain because this is your barrier. It's logistical, okay? I don't have a big enough house. I, 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 you know, I, I live in an apartment. I live in a dorm. I live in my mom's basement. I live with three messy roommates. So we conclude this hospitality stuff isn't for me. Some of you have already concluded it isn't for you. But it doesn't have to happen in a home. It doesn't have to happen in a home. You can invite someone to grab a bite to eat at some fast food restaurant after church. Or you can invite someone to join you at your cafeteria at school. You can be like Jesus with Zacchaeus and just invite yourself over. I mean, Jesus did that, so you could do that too. And you could just say, hey, I'll bring the food. Um, and you're, you host or whatever. Be creative, but don't let your living circumstances cause you to close the door on God's invitation to all of us to practice this amazing way to love people around a table. Don't miss out. There are plenty of places to eat, and there are plenty of ways to do a meal on varying budgets. Again, I think, I think we've made, we, we've, we, we make this too complicated. And we come up with all these excuses when what we're really talking about is love. Just inviting someone to hang out over a meal. That's what we're talking about. All of us can do that. The second barrier is image. Image. See, this is really important. Hospitality is not the same thing as entertaining. 
It is not. Get that out of your mind. It is not the same thing as entertaining. When we entertain people in our home, we feel like everything has to be perfect, right? Every, we, we spend hours cleaning house and, and making sure the place settings are all perfect and the meal is absolutely amazing and, and, and our house looks immaculate and we're exhausted by the time the meal happens or whatever, but, but that, that's the way it is. And there's nothing wrong with that and there's nothing, nothing wrong with that, but often, often it's driven by a concern about our own image, how we will look, which misses the heart of hospitality. See, biblical hospitality is not the same thing as entertaining, Gospel-centered hospitality provides this powerful combination of an open door and an atmosphere of grace. No one is trying to impress or to be perfect. Our kitchen floor may not be clean. Toys may be thrown all over, scattered all over the floor. We may have a layer of dust that we just notice when they're there, or cobwebs on our lamp, or whatever. You know, we, and, and, and that's okay, because life is not perfect. Our lives are not perfect. In, in their excellent book, The Simplest Way to Change the World, which is a great resource, if you're looking for a resource regarding hospitality, um, this is a really good book. Um, it's kind of coaching me and helping me in this area. It's called The Simplest Way to Change the World by Dustin Willis and Brandon Clements. Tons of practical insight. And it's listed in our resource section on our website. So anyway, in, in this book, the authors write this. They say, you inviting others into your messy house is actually a beautiful act of vulnerability. It's letting them see that you are not perfect, which is actually far more hope-giving than bringing them into a spick-and-span environment because their life is messy too. That's powerful. By inviting people into this atmosphere of grace where we are not trying to hide the fact that we're not perfect and, yeah, our kids are kind of a mess and there's things on the floor, whatever. Inviting people into that, I know it may drive some of us nuts, but by driving people, or inviting people into that, we're actually being vulnerable and we're communicating, hey, life is messy. Our life is messy. Your life is messy. Let's have a meal together. Okay, so don't let that be a, a, a barrier image. Third barrier is time, Right? You're thinking, okay, here, what, if I'm hearing you correctly, it sounds like you're just going to add, Alan, you're just adding one more thing to my busy schedule, you know. Um, but here's the deal. Think about this. We already eat 21 times a week. Why not invite someone to join you for one of those meals? We're doing something we already do 21 times a week. Why not invite someone to eat with you, not someone who is in your close circle of friends or your circle of friends or whatever, someone God has laid on your heart. And let me share one more barrier that's huge for me personally. Maybe you can't relate to this. I just feel embarrassed to ask people. Uh, you know, um, it, it, it's, there's like this cultural barrier of, of just awkwardness in stuff like this, especially with people I don't know well. What will they think? They're probably too busy anyway. They maybe don't want to hang out or, or will they think I'm cheap if I suggest Culver's or something? I don't know. You know, all these things are kind of going through my brain, right? And I don't, I don't know what to say. If you can relate to that, I don't know what to say except we have got to get over that. See, the gospel is bigger than that. The gospel is bigger than that. Let's make the ask, okay? Let's make the ask. Let's press beyond the awkwardness because there is a lot of, there's a whole lot of life on the other side of this. 
whole lot of life on the other side of this. We got to press through the awkwardness. See, sometimes here's the problem. We're waiting for our phone to ring. We're waiting for other people in our church to make the ask. We're waiting for them to initiate. And then if no one does, we, we get discouraged. But you know what? A lot of people are waiting for their phone to ring. They're wanting to connect with people, but they're afraid of taking that first step. So let's be the one. Can we agree? Let's just be the one who takes the first step and by doing so embraces the beauty of being a part of Jesus' grace-filled family. So here's a specific invitation for you to practice this. Sometime during the month of November, we're about a third of the way there, so you got three weeks left, okay? Sometime during the month of November, invite someone or a few people to share a meal with you, not family members or friends, intentionally invite someone you don't know well or someone God has been laying on your heart or maybe someone that you know is going through a challenging season or whatever. Make the ask and then see what God does. I mean, really, imagine with me what would happen if we, if we regularly invited guests to our table to share a meal and to hear their stories and to celebrate God's goodness. Can you imagine that with me? I know, and you know as well, I know what would happen. Love would be poured out. Lonely people would feel seen. Hurting people would feel valued and heard. And we would more and more experience church as a family, which is exactly what God longs for us to be. Amen? <laughs> Amen. All right, let's pray together. God, thank you. Man, thank you. What a, what a powerful, beautiful picture you give us of what the church can be and how each one of us can be instruments of your love. Every one of us can be instruments to change the world starting right here in this church family. Would you open our eyes, Lord? Would you help us see? Would you help us move beyond our comfort zone to ask people to be with us around a table, people that maybe we don't know well or whatever, to move us beyond our comfort zone. And so, Holy Spirit, I just want to pray right now. We'll just take a moment. You can, we can do this through the week, and I encourage all of us to, but here's the, here's the ask. Holy Spirit, who, who can we invite? Who can I invite to gather around a table? That's not, not a close friend, it's not a friend or whatever. Who, who beyond that can I invite? Holy Spirit, would you speak to each one of us? So give us courage. We want to continue to ask that, Lord. Give us eyes to see and courage to ask. And lots of amazing relationships building and developing as hospitality is practiced by all of us. Thank you, Lord. So I want to, if you could have, put your, just bring your eyes up here again. Um, 
Is it any surprise that the key symbol of the gospel, of Jesus dying on the cross for us, the key symbol of that occurs, occurred around a table where grace-receiving sinners partook of bread and wine as part of the Lord's Supper. You know, we think of the Lord's Supper in terms of a little piece of bread and, and a little cup of juice, um, right? And we, we formally receive during a worship service, and that's, that's all fine. But in the Bible, the Lord's Supper was a meal. The Lord's Supper was a meal around a table where followers of Jesus broke bread, lots of it, and they drank freely. And it occurred in someone's home, like we saw in Acts chapter 2, it was a highly relational experience of hospitality, sharing a meal together as participants of God's grace. And by the way, if you're in a small group, I encourage you, once a month, once a quarter, do a meal around a table. Gather around a table. Break bread. Share stories. Laugh together. Celebrate together. But in this context of a church service, we can't share a meal. <laughs> but we can come to a table. We can come to a table where we are served the Lord's Supper. And so let's stand. Let's stand, if you would. And we're going to do something a little different today. We haven't changed anything in terms of basic logistics. We're going to do something a little different in our practicing of the Lord's Supper. Um, so we have the table set up the way we usually do. But instead of just going up to a table and taking the elements directly from that table, I want us to be served the elements by someone in our church family. And so what we're going to, I just, we need volunteers we have not pre-organized this, okay? So I'm, I'm serious, we need you. I don't have plants in the crowd, okay? We need, we need volunteers, and I'll explain what this means. We need volunteers at every table. Um, you don't have to say anything. You don't have to say anything. You get to serve, you get to serve either bread or juice. You're just gonna hold it out in front of you as people come, and you just hold the tray out, and you serve them that bread, or if you're holding the juice tray, you serve them the juice. So at each table, we have two long tables, the only two in here. So we need four volunteers at these two tables. There's bread and juice on one side and bread and juice on the other side. Same thing here. So four and four. And then we just need two people at the other two tables. And there are four tables at the back. So if you're willing to serve, if you're willing to serve this church family, um, Go for it. Just go ahead and move back to the table. I'm not going to start until we actually have every table covered. Okay, so, uh, so we need, looks like we need one more person up here. We're covered here. Looks like we're covered here. I don't know. How are we doing at the back? Thumbs up at the back. Are we doing okay? Okay, good. We are all covered. Okay, so the people at the tables, you're doing great. You guys are ready. Awesome. Um, and so, so when we start worship, the, you'll just come to a table and you'll just receive, a person will just hold the tray out to you and you'll receive that way. Um, and here's the fun thing. And, and even if that, that moment felt a little awkward to some of us, like, oh no, we're doing something different. I love that because hospitality is like that, right? It is just, it just moves us out of our comfort zone. And oh no, I gotta make eye contact with this person when I receive the bread, right? I mean, it, but that's good because hospitality is like that. It, it, it moves us out of our comfort zone. It, it's not always comfortable, but it is life-giving to serve others. It, the people that are gonna be more blessed in this room are the people who are serving. <laughs> they're, they're more blessed, we, we all know that. And so the people who are serving, if you want us, you can stay as long as you want up here um, or at the table. Let's at least stay through the first song where most people are served. 
Um, you don't need to stay through the whole worship set, but let's at least stay up for the for this first song. If you want to stay longer, you can, but I think most people will be served in that first song. So let me pray for us. God, thank you for this family. Thank you that we get to partake together around a table. It's a small little meal, but it's not really a meal, but it's still the symbol of this table that you have provided for us and this family that we're a part of because of your death on the cross and your resurrection. So we love you, Jesus. We thank you. This bread represents your body given for us and that the juice represents your blood shed for us. And we're so, we're so grateful for that. So as we partake in these next few minutes, as we worship, Jesus, we, we just want to love on you in this family. We want to celebrate how awesome you are in this family. So thank you for giving your life for us. Thank you, Lord. All right, let's worship and come, come to a table.